Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Lauren Burbridge. Lauren is a master's level social worker who changed her focus from humans to animals seven years ago when she joined the Animal Rescue League of Boston's Center for Shelter Dogs. In in January of 2014, Lauren was hired to start the Massachusetts Animal Fund, a program of the development of agricultural resources aimed at ending animal homelessness in the Commonwealth. The fund provides a no-cost sterilization and vaccination for the most vulnerable animals in the state, including community cats, and trains animal control officers. Lauren lives in New Hampshire with her husband, two rescue dogs, and three rescue cats. Lauren, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much, Stacey. So I'm glad you've got the cats outnumbering the dogs in your house. Yes, we do. <laughs> we just kind of keep collecting them. They, they all, they've come from a variety of places and we love them dearly. So you mentioned a little bit in your bio about how you got started in animal welfare, but what actually made you get more interested in working with animals? Um, so, you know, I've always loved animals from pretty much, I think my, my very first word was dog. And I actually, my parents built me a dollhouse when I was five or six. And I decided that instead of people living there, only animals were allowed to live there. And that was like my dream life. So I've always been very, very interested in working with animals. Um, My schooling took me in the direction of human service, but I really decided as I was evaluating my own life goals how I wanted that human service to fit in with animal service. And I was really fortunate that I was able to start that at the Animal Rescue League of Boston. And then this particular program, the Massachusetts Animal Fund, is perfect because we're dealing with individuals that are low income in Massachusetts. So I'm working directly with the public. I'm working directly with animal control officers and town offices. So I have that that human component, but then I get to help all the animals. And, you know, we have helped over 6,300 dogs and cats across the Commonwealth since the program started. And I'm really excited about that. That's great. So the key numbers and letter that for anyone who is uh, a resident of Massachusetts should have basically tattooed on their arm is (laughs) 32F. Can you tell us what 32F means? Absolutely. So the Massachusetts Animal Fund was brought into law on October 31st, 2012. And part of that law created this fund that is administered by the Department of Agricultural Resources with assistance from an advisory committee. And the way that we get our funding is solely through a voluntary tax checkoff on line 32F of the Massachusetts resident income tax form. So that is the the part on your tax return where you have six options. And um, there are a couple other funds. There's an AIDS fund and a veterans fund and a few other things. But we were added to that line 32 as the sixth option so that people can donate directly to animals on their taxes. So that right now is our only source of funding. 
And as you can imagine, tax donations are variable. So we don't have a consistent source of funding right now. And our need far outweighs the amount that we bring in every year. Um, We did kind of crunch some numbers and figured out that if every taxpayer in Massachusetts paid just $1 on their resident income tax form each year, we could help over 40,000 cats and dogs every year. Wow. That's impressive. That's a big number. And that would be fantastic. Uh, It would. We we would love for that to happen. And the way the program works, it's through vouchers, correct? Yes. So um, our voucher program, we... Um, when I first started the program, it was it was just me, and I had to look at other state programs. Some states have similar programs to ours in that they offer low or no cost spay neuter and vaccination services for dogs and cats in the state. And so I looked at those programs, and I looked at other programs that were for low income residents um, and municipalities, and tried to figure out what the best way to disseminate those funds were. The voucher program came to be because that seemed the best way to give us actual measurable analytics about where every dollar is going. So rather than giving grants where there could be some potentially faulty reporting or, you know, we're not actually seeing each of those, um, you know, each of that those dollars getting spent, we decided to team up with animal control officers because we wanted to give them, you know, they know they know their communities better than we ever could. There are 351 municipalities across Massachusetts, and there's only two people on our staff. So we can't know those communities as well as the animal control officers do. So we wanted to put the kind of the money into their hands. So um, animal control officers can request a voucher for um, a dog or cat that is held in their municipal animal control facility for a dog or cat owned by a low-income Massachusetts resident, and then also for community cats. So those are kind of our three program areas. And the way the vouchers work is that we send, the the animal control officer sends us a request, and our spay-neuter community liaison, Sherry, looks at the request and sees where that kind of falls on our priority list, since we do have more requests than funding right now. And then those vouchers go out to the animal control officer who works directly with the either the the trapper um, or feeder for community cats or um, the owners of low income you know animals. And they will hand those vouchers over and the vouchers are redeemable at any of our participating spay neuter providers. So the spay neuter providers sign on with us and actually have a contract with the state to provide services at a specified fee. And so anybody can bring their dog or cat with their voucher to any of our participating providers. We have about 32 across the state at this point, and we're actively seeking more. And then those surgeries are performed and the voucher comes back with an invoice to us and we pay the provider. So it's absolutely no cost to residents or trappers at all. It's completely fee-free and we pay for that. And then we're able to collect all the data from that voucher. So we are able to know exactly, you know, especially for community cats, where is that colony? Where does that cat specifically live? Who is managing that colony? We are, for low-income residents, we're able to see where are pockets of people that don't have access to resources. And we're able to track every single dollar that we spend. Looking at the data that you have for over the 6,000 animals that you've helped, have you seen any specific trends in Massachusetts? Our hotspots seem to be the um, Boston proper, Boston area seems to have, um, even though there are 
many lower cost options, there still seems to be more need than available resources at the moment. The Fall River area is another um, large area, and that's one that we we actually just brought on the Providence Animal Rescue League, which, yes, is in Rhode Island, but is only about 15 minutes from Fall River. And they are able to take our Massachusetts vouchers for Massachusetts residents. So that was a, a big deal with the number of providers that we have down in that area. The Springfield area is a big, you know, kind of a, a hot spot out there. We see a lot coming from there. And then um, actually out in the Berkshires, there's there are fewer providers and fewer resources out that way. Um, we've actually done a couple of um, even emergency fund projects out there where where there have been issues and we have we've we've actually made a, a pretty good dent out there, but we are continuing to look at these kind of hot pocket areas and trying to get additional providers. And then also we're looking for grant funding that we could work specifically in these areas that seem to have the greatest need as we've collected this data. So that's kind of where we're at. If you like the Community Cats podcast and would like to help promote Community Cats in your state, then we need you. We're looking for a couple of people from each state to be Community Cats ambassadors. What do you get by being an ambassador? You'll be mailed a promo kit of items to use to help promote the show at any event that you attend in your state. If you don't attend many events, hey, that's okay too. Do you have a network of people that love community cats? You can help with email and groups in your state to let them know about the CCP and offer them the benefit of community cat swag. The more we can spread the word about the show, the more we can do to help cats across the country. Please email Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com if you'd like to represent your state. Thank you. The Community Cats Podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the support the show link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. So one other component to all of this, and actually before we go on to, to this next topic, I will remind everybody to always remember 32F. If you are a resident of Massachusetts, it's, it's March 18th, so you're about a month away from having to get that bloody tax return in. So don't forget to check 32F to be able to contribute to this fund. One other component, uh, and one thing that was probably very new to you, and I'd like to sort of hear your story was creating some animal control training. And I believe you kind of created it from scratch or am I wrong in that? Yeah, no, no, we created it from scratch. So um, so that was a, a really interesting process for me. Um, you know, I've done some curriculum design in the past, but this was a, this, this animal focus was new. So we had the help of an animal control officer subcommittee. Um, that was kind of an offshoot of our advisory committee to get some feedback on that. We had the feedback of, you know, our director of the Division of Animal Health from the state veterinarian, from other animal control officers, from law enforcement, people at the Animal Rescue League and the MSPCA had, had you know, had looked into that. So what we did is um, I created a program that we call our core competencies program. So this is either a two-day or three-evening course, and we ran actually 12 of those trainings all across the state um, back in the spring and summer of 2016. So that curriculum includes emergency preparedness and includes animal control law. 
animal behavior, capture, and safe handling, records and report writing, and communications and public relations. So based on looking at, um, at other programs that do animal control officer training, such as NACA, NICHA, and ACOM, those, they kind of do much longer comprehensive courses. We looked to them to see what they were, what topics were covered. I put out a survey to all the animal control officers back in um, late 2015, early 2016, to see where they felt their own deficits were and where they weren't receiving enough training. And so we use that really to shape that program. And what we believed from um, the state's perspective, the, the biggest thing are those animal control laws and making sure that everybody is up to date on those and also the, the record keeping and report writing, because we actually do have mandates um, through the state. There are laws about how records need to be kept for animal control. So, and we realized in doing, you know, some spot checks around the state that a lot of times that simply wasn't happening. And sometimes it was that they didn't know that that law existed. We were kind of in a no man's land for a while where animal control really wasn't overseen by anybody at the state. They were, the animal control was, you know, it was kind of up to each municipality. And even though there were state laws, there wasn't anybody that they could really truly turn to, to get those answers. And now that the mass animal fund is in existence, that's what I'm here for. So it was it was really exciting to be able to create that curriculum. You know, this was just year one, and we know that there is there's a long way for us to go to, you know, continue developing that curriculum and making it the best that it can be. But it was a very successful program. We trained over 250 officers in that first go round, and including all assistant animal control officers and other people. We have we're just now finding we we have probably about over 500 officers across the state for the 351 municipalities. So we originally thought that we had, you know, reached about three quarters of the people, but as we're getting designation forms in, we're realizing there are a lot more Mm -hmm. officers than we thought. So everybody is required to take this core competencies course. And then there's also going to be after they've completed that course and passed the course, it is a, it is a pass fail. And we have remediation options for those who did not pass those, those core competencies. Um, every year we also will be instituting a continuing education requirement. So we're really excited. We're right now we're starting to partner with different groups to put on different trainings around the state in topic areas that animal control officers have said they need further assistance in. And we also have partnered with some people like the ASPCA to offer online courses. We're looking at partnering with Maddie's Fund to offer additional online courses. Um, the Massachusetts Animal Coalition has events that they do that we are counting for course credit. And the Animal Control Officers Association of Massachusetts, they have a, I believe it's a 13-week training um, that's great and comprehensive. And we send people there too, and they get they get credit towards our requirements. So in the training that you provide for animal control officers, uh, what do you cover with regards to community cats? We probably spent about an hour, maybe even a little more than an hour on community cats. So interestingly, in the state, a lot of the animal control officers still hold the title of dog officer. And that is something that we are actively working to change. The language was changed. I believe that was back in 2012 when the language in the laws changed from dog officer to animal control officer to really encompass all animals. So that's something that we are working, we and we wanted to let everybody at that training know that they are responsible for working with cats in the community. 
um, whether that's picking up a stray cat that, um, you know, somebody has lost in the community or whether that's acknowledging that there are community cat colonies in their community. And how do you manage that? And how do you work with the people who are managing that? Um, a lot of people didn't really realize until they went through the training that these colonies even really existed. It was when they started having trappers and feeders coming to them saying, hey, I heard about the Mass Animal Fund and we would love to get this colony fixed. Can you help us? And so it was a really big learning opportunity, I think, for a lot of these animal control officers who did not have experience with community cats. And we have seen a really positive reaction um, from many of the animal control officers across the state about community cats. And they seem really grateful for the people that are managing the colonies. And they are eager to help by requesting vouchers for those colonies so that we can, you know, we can try to spay and neuter and vaccinate you know, every cat in those colonies. And so I think that that's been amazing. So that's when we were in the training sessions, we just, we talked about, you know, how to communicate with trappers and feeders and the kind of the benefits of having colonies around. We've, you know, we've worked with some groups that are saying that they, that they actually really, you know, love having barn cats around for, you know, for pest control and for, you know, there are businesses even that are, that are talking about, you know, that they really enjoy having, having cats around for that sort of reason. And I think just, we were able to also talk about to the officers that felt like having community cats were a nuisance. We talked, we talked about how that doesn't have to be that way and what resources there are. And, you know, we direct them to resources like the Community Cats podcast and we direct them to to Alley Cat Allies and to MRFRS, who does a great job with, um, you know, with Community Cats. We've, we've directed them to resources and I think people are, are really receptive. That's, that's excellent. And it forces them with the vouchers, it sort of forces them to learn by doing. It does. It does. And so it's it's really kind of fun to get those calls from officers who say, hey, I had no idea, <laughs> you know, that this that this even that this existed or what to do about it. But now I think that one thing I love about our voucher program is that it really empowers the animal control officers to be a positive um, member of their community, because I think they get a bad rap a lot of times. People don't quite understand animal control laws and they feel like if an, you know, if an animal control officer is called, I did something horrible mm. or you know, they're scary and they're law enforcement and it's, you know, it's bad, but we're able to, when, when they're able to say, Hey, no, Hey, I have resources for you. This isn't a bad thing. This is, let me help you take care of your pet in the best way, or let me help you understand, you know, these community cats in your neighborhood. I think that we've been able to give them something really positive. And I, I'm, I feel like even with just being, you know, in the program for three years, I feel like we're starting to see a shift where, people are really turning out to be grateful for their animal control officers and the resources that they can provide. Going back to 32F, if folks are interested in sharing information about 32F and finding out maybe more questions about the Mass Animal Fund, how would they find out about that? We have our website, which is massanimalfund.com. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter. Twitter and our Twitter handle is at line 32 F. So hopefully you'll remember that one. (laughs) So those are the best ways um, to kind of find out just generic information, but people can always reach out to me directly. I am happy to talk to anybody about 
this program about donating, about what we do, about, you know, we have statistics and figures that we can give you on the work that we've already done. And I'm also happy to talk to anybody who is, you know, from another state. I know not all of your listeners are from Massachusetts, but if you are looking to start up a similar program in your state, you know, over half the states still don't have any sort of low cost spay-neuter program. And we think it's it's really important. It should be a state objective. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who is looking to start that in a state as well. So everybody should be sharing this on their Facebook page if they are in the in the Massachusetts realm or if they even have friends and family. I mean, we're so Facebooked that, you know, we have, we have people all around the country. So somebody from Massachusetts has probably got to be in our, all of our groups. So if, if everybody shared 32F around, hopefully the, the word would get out. And then anybody local should ask their own accountants to promote it within their own practices, I would think, too. Absolutely. So we've actually sent out letters to CPAs. Um, I think um, I just hit the 10,000 mark with how many I've sent out letters to CPAs. Um, We have some great billboards that the um, Mass Department of Transportation has been kind enough to gift us um, with PSA billboards about it. So those are up. You can, if you're in Massachusetts, you'll see those. We're working with uh, dog licensing lists to get some literature out there and with dog licensing at uh, town clerk's office. Unfortunately, since cats don't require licensing, we can't reach all the cat people. So that's why I'm really glad that I'm (laughs) able to talk on this show today. (laughs) Lauren, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm I'm really excited about the work that we have been able to do with this program, and I know that we can do so much more. So anytime that you can share Line 32F or make a donation directly on our website, we would be eternally grateful because we have you know, wait lists of animals that, that need our services, and we have the infrastructure to do that. We're just, you know, the, the funding is where it's at. So any help that you can give would be so appreciated. We're about a month out before our tax returns are due. We're the day after St. Patty's Day, so happy post-St. Patty's Day to you. So now it's time to get serious and focus on our taxes after all that green beer that everybody had yesterday. <laughs> and so focus on the taxes, but also you did make a good point that folks can just make general donations too. So that's yeah. something to look out for on the website also. Lauren, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I I hope we'll have you on in the future. Great. Thanks so much, Stacey. Want to learn more about grants? Register for Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Learn the ins and outs of writing grants, how to track them, and how to do follow-up reports. This is a perfect educational opportunity for a small organization looking to develop a strategic grant writing program as a fundraiser. Go to communitycatspodcast.com and click the link on the homepage to register. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. That's Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Ah!